Certainly, even when they're hard. Speak that we may listen. Amen. When I was a junior in undergrad, I had this English professor. Well, she was an almost English professor because she had nearly completed her dissertation. And I called her this almost professor because I was 20 and she didn't like my writing. <laughs> she was convinced that I was a terrible writer and took every paper as an opportunity to tell me how terrible it actually was. I think her main critique was along the lines that I wrote about the characters as if they were real people, not figments of someone's imagination, which is, you know, a fair critique. But if someone doesn't want me to get lost in the particular quirks of a husband and wife who have fallen out of love, then don't write such compelling realistic stories. And I remember going to her one day after a class explaining that she didn't have to worry so much about how bad my writing was because everyone knows English majors are for people who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And needless to say, that did not go over well, and she promptly suggested that I switch majors. The whole semester, I sweated every assignment. And then it happened. Somewhere near the end, it clicked. I finally got how my very real professor was encouraging me to abandon what I had prematurely settled into as my writing style and helped me gain skills not only that I didn't know I had, they were skills I didn't even know I should want to have. How many of you can relate to this story? I bet every person in here has a story just like this, and if you don't have one yet, I hope you get one one day. I don't know why, but there's magic in the rub and the friction. The rub is the thing that makes you uncomfortable, the thing that refuses to just let you quietly go about your day blissfully content. The rub, the pebble in the shoe, the thing that just won't let you shake the feeling that maybe, just maybe, you're not perfect. Jesus was the king of the rub. Jesus has a lot of honorific titles in our tradition. Lamb of God, Son of Man. Maybe we should add rub royalty in the mix too. Because this is something Jesus is phenomenal at. The ultimate rub. The one who could and did in a mere four sentences invite us to wonder and question all that we have been taught about what makes a good life. And if you don't know, I'm talking about those four woe sentences. And so you know, ahead of time, I know sometimes preachers do this, sometimes I've done it, but this time, we're stuck with these words. There is, I have no smart exegetical tricks that get us out of these set sentences. And I, I did try. In my research, I learned that the English woe that we get is translated from the Greek, from the Greek way, which is neither verb nor noun, but an interjection used to exclaim grief, and it's found all over scripture. So if I wanna get rid of all these woes, that means I have to make, get rid of all the other woes in scripture. We just can't do that. So we're stuck. 
There's no way around it. We're stuck right in here, right now, with Jesus saying, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. So what do we do? I thought maybe we could all nervously bite our fingernails, but then I realized that won't work since we're all wearing masks. So, so, so what do we do with this passage that we can't explain away? We could try to bury it. Christians have been known to do that. Everyone has. So I'm assuming everyone here has heard of the Sermon on the Mountain, right? Yeah. How many of you have heard the phrase, Sermon on the Plain? That's right. This is the less popular twin because on the plane, Jesus doesn't spiritualize anything. We don't talk about the Sermon on the Plain because there's no blessed are the poor in spirit on the plane. It's just blessed are the poor, period. So what do we do? After much sitting, after much reading and thinking, I think we say thank you. Jesus needed to say these words, and we needed to have Jesus on record as having said these words more than we realize. I have no idea whether Jesus knew that Christianity would become the religion of empire. He was fully God, so maybe, but he was also fully human, so maybe not. That's above my pay grade, but we all know that Christianity became the religion of empire. And from where we now sit and what we now know, we must acknowledge that everything that Jesus warned his disciples to be wary of, many in the historic institutional church ran to with open arms. The church became rich, famously, exploitively so. The church became full, gluttonous to the point of embarrassing. And I don't know whether one can say the church became a place full of laughter. Maybe that's the one injunction they took seriously. So here we stand. After centuries of Christian exploitation, greed, and abuse, we never lost Jesus. No matter how often the church participated in a scheme that exploited the rich to aid the poor, Jesus' words stood firm quietly illuminating the deficiencies and lies that were swirling around in his name. So why centuries later we can go back and say, ah, but that wasn't Jesus. This was Jesus. Over the past couple of months, I've been reading Marie Arana's Silver Sword and Stone, a comprehensive telling of the conquest of Latin America. Throughout the book, there is tragedy after tragedy, violence upon violence. And while the violence and exploitation in Latin America did not begin with the arrival of the Christian conquistadors, story after story reveals that the Christians escalated the violence and horrors once the continent and her people were under their total control. At one point in this reading, I was so close to tears, furious that these Christians used Jesus as their cover, that they tried to make Jesus complicit in their horrors. I'm like, ah, oh, we gotta save Jesus. But then it dawned on me, 
Jesus is fine. They already failed. Here I stand, a child of that conquest. Me and my people don't exist without it. And I am enamored by Jesus still because he speaks hard words that I can't make go away. Words that stick to my bones illuminate the hypocrisies I participate in and invites me to dream a bigger, more expansive dream. I'm smart. I know the history. I should be rejecting Jesus. You might have thought I should reject Jesus. Yet here we are, affirming with our lives and in this time that while we don't understand all Jesus had to say, we don't have to. A large part of that has to do with Jesus uttering these few dark sentences on rather boring topography, apparently. No, I don't like hearing Jesus dismiss riches, food, laughter, and flattery. Who does? These words rub me the wrong way, and I don't like it. But they're exactly the kind of rub everyone in the world needs. The whole world needs to contend with these words every once in a while. And that, well, that is why I am thankful for them this day. Amen. <laughs>